KMTT Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Today is Wednesday. We have the weekly shiur on the philosophy of the Vilna Gaon and his school by Havav Aliyakim Krambay. Shalom. In our last shiur, we took a, a minute look, a detailed look at the critique leveled at the Hasidic movement by Reb Chaim Velazhin, the eminent disciple of the Gra, and the sentiments that he expressed, which were certainly echoes of things that he had heard from the Vilna Gaon himself. I'd like to open today with the question, is this critique still relevant today? Or has the situation changed? We all know that the uh, intense conflict be- between Nadim and Hasidim has, to a large extent, uh, quieted down very much. And if we look at the situation closely, we can see why. Does the Hasidic movement, movement today still have those same characteristics which the Gra and his Talmidim found so problematic and so perilous? Well, one thing which we spoke about, namely the preponderance of extra-halachic practice of minagim, which have uh, very little source, very little basis in the conventional classical sources, and which sprang from uh, the practice and the insight of the Hasidic masters themselves. I think if we look today at the various anthologies of Hasidic Minagim that are prevalent today, uh, we can see that this is still true. There is still a tremendous uh, weight, quantitative presence of these, uh, what Minagim would see as meaningless appendages to the authentic halacha. But on the other hand, in these same anthologies, we can also see that there's a, a very fine, renewed halachic sensitivity. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think if today you were to take a, uh, a tally of the different minhagim that are associated with Hasidim, the various Hasidim according to the various dynasties and courts, I believe that we as a rule will find that uh, most of the recorded minhagim are based on halachic considerations. And this is uh, a phenomenon which uh, is very different from what we find in the Hasidic movement at its outset. Today you'll find uh, the Hasidim writing down in their books of minhagim various nihugim, various practices which may be specific to to their particular dynasty, but which have halachic reasoning behind them. We are worried about a certain shita, a certain da'at yachid, a minority opinion which is generally not considered, but we've taken into account and therefore our practice is different from the normal practice. There's a certain hidur that uh, we, we take special care and we devote special attention to, a hidur which is recognized in halacha. Uh, and I think uh, the, such, such minhagim now constitute the majority of the specific Hasidic minhagim.
Of course, alongside this, we still have some traditional areas where the Hasidim, uh, not all of them, but some of them, still take liberties with the halacha, particularly uh, time of the avening, the, the, the specific hours after which, according to the, the simple halacha, one may, no long, one, may no, one may no longer daven shaharit, for example, and there are Hasidim that uh, are not makpin on this. But uh, I would say that on the whole, we certainly have this renewed halachic sensitivity. This renewed halachic, halachic sensitivity has a history. And it has to do with a major turnabout which occurred within the Hasidic movement as far as its relationship to Torah learning, to Talmud Torah. As we saw at the inception of the Hasidic movement, the, Hasid, the Misnagdim found the Hasidic attitude toward Talmud Torah very, very objectionable. Uh, and this was uh, certainly uh, well understood because the Hasidim actually had forged new ways of Avodat Hashem which basically did not depend on Torah in the way that it had always been understood. Uh, but in the decades following the passing of the Zonagon, this changed very profoundly. The first inkling of change, I think, can be found already in the attitude of the Jose of Lublin, who is considered an early Hasidic master, third generation. We are, all, we are here now at the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, we, he made a point of expe- expressing respect for the Torah and for Torah scholars. Uh, but the real changes came about uh, a few decades later. And we find uh, major Hasidic, Hasidic leaders themselves being Dolei Torah, Anakei Torah actually, major poskim, and that they also encourage their Hasidim to indulge very seriously in Torah learning. Bi'iyun, bi'bikiyut. Such people as the Tzanzer Rebbe, Rabbi Chaim Habershtam, the author of the Shreyla Tutshuvot, Divrei Chaim, and perhaps a very, very eminent Hasidic leader, Rab Nachman of Kotz. The Kotzke Rebbe said that uh, the fact that the Baal Shem Tov left Talmud Torah and he devised new ways of serving God doesn't mean that the old ways are inherently not valid. It's just that the Baal Shem Tov uh, saw that in his time the old ways had fallen into disuse and abuse, and therefore he felt that it was necessary to innovate. But the Kotzker went on. Now, after the Baal Shem Tov has made his point, the time is ripe, and we can go back to the old ways, and we can serve God and, close, and come close to Him through the vehicle of Talmud Torah. The Kotzker himself was a tremendous lamdan, a tremendous tamil chacham. Uh, although it is true that as far as I know, we have no body of Chidushet Torah that came down from him. There is a story that, uh, that is prevalent, according to which the Kotzker wrote a perush on Choshen Mishpat, which did not come down to us because the author himself burned it 
and the stove, saying that the quality of this perush was such that if it became public, people would stop learning the shach. And in order to pre- prevent this uh, insult to the shach, the Katskarabi preferred to do away with his own perush. Uh, whether or not this story is to be taken uh, at, at, uh, seriously, but it's de- it is definitely true that the Katskarabi was a major lambda, and we know this from his son-in-law. His son-in-law, the Avni Nezer, Rabbi Avram of Sochachov, who got his derech and learning from the Kotzke Rebbe, his father-in-law. Now, with a Talmud like that, there's no question that the Kotzke Rebbe himself was a Gadol B'Torah. Uh, and, of course, we should mention the Ger Hasidim, perhaps the major Hasidic dynasty in pre-war Poland, which always emphasized the uh, importance of Imo Torah, Bi'iyun, down, down to the present day. Of course, uh, when Hasidim learn Torah, it has a special Hasidic flavor, a special, a special a Polish style and nuance, which is not exactly the same as the uh, classic learning in, uh, of the Lithuanian stamp. But nevertheless, without getting into the uh, nuances, we are talking about Limul Torah Bi'iyun, Bishkida, with diligence, with intellectual analysis, uh, logical order. Uh, and all these uh, aspects of Limud Torah, which are relatively new, really uh, were not present in the Hasidic movement at its inception. This comes along with other changes which occurred within the Hasidic movement, which uh, it's outside the scope of our discussion here to get into the reasons for them. But the Hasidic movement uh, succeeded so well and attracted so many people that it stopped being a maverick movement, a movement of revolutionaries, a sociological gadfly, but it became the sociological mainstream. It captured a lot of the center stage. Much of the Jewish and religious establishment simply passed over into the hands of the Hasidim. And Concurrent with that, the movement changed its nature. Now the Hasidic movement was the mainstream. It represented the establishment. And quite naturally, many of the uh, practices and aspects of the movement which, are, which were deemed as being uh, digressions and being as uh, deviationist, these uh, became watered down. Many of them ceased altogether. And the emphases, the educational and ideological emphases of the movement became more mainstream and more establishment-oriented. Now, on the basis of what I said until now, the picture that emerges is that today the Hasidic movement is much different from what it was at its outset, and therefore the critique of the Misnagdim has diminished. However, at the same time, we should mention another uh, phenomenon, namely that of the neo-Hasidim. What I said until now applies to traditional Hasidut. I would say uh, those sociological groups of people who are Hasidim mainly for sociological reasons or genealogical reasons. Their parents were Hasidim. They live in communities of Hasidim. They belong to Hasidic uh, 
uh, sects. However, today we have a relatively new phenomenon of people that become Hasidim because they are attracted to the ideology. And when people become attracted to ideology, they generally mean the ideology in its pure form, in its pristine, original form. And that's what we see happening today. Uh, There are groups of people that become Hasidim because that's the way they wish to define themselves. And they don't attach themselves necessarily to any specific type of Hasidim to Vizhnitz, or to Ger, or to, or even to Lubavitch. But they become interested in Hasidut because of the spiritual attraction of the ideas of Hasidut. And a large part of these people are actually people who, uh, interestingly enough, and as I'm sure you well know, come from uh, modern perhaps modern Orthodox background, religious Zionist background. And there are now uh, yeshivot and institutions that are uh, that style themselves as being Hasidic, which are comprised mainly of people of such a background. And here I think we find uh, that the, the leaders of these groups are actually prepared to take a, a clear stand which is purely Hasidic. For example, I can read to you from something written by uh, a modern-day Rosh Yeshiva who has a Yeshiva which is, uh, which, which is based on the philosophy of Hasidut, even though they learn Torah very diligently there and very seriously. But as far as the way of life that the Yeshiva tries to inculcate and the style of divine service, we're definitely talking about a Hasidic, heavy Hasidic orientation. And this Rosh Yeshiva writes as follows, Higia hazman shenavin kulanu ki leshed chayeha shel Torah fatochen ha'ikari shel kiyum mitzvoteha hu dafka ha'chavaya ha'rikshit ha'mitlava l'maaseh ha'mitzvah v'limud ha'torah. In translation, the time has come, or it's about time that we understood, all of us, that the soul of Torah and its main content of Torah and of mitzvot is specifically the emotional experience which ought to uh, accompany the act of, of performance of mitzvot and of Torah learning. Uh, so we, here we have clearly stated in unvarnished words the belief that the main content of Torah and Mitzvot is the emotional experience. Uh, if the Vilna Gaon and Rebchaim Vajan are there listening, they're shuddering, and they're calling out to us, watch out. There's danger here. But, of course, uh, it's not necessarily the same as it was in their time at all, because with all the history behind us, with all the criticism that was leveled at the Hasidut at its outset, it stands to reason that the danger today is much less. And that even if someone would come along and say that the main point 
of Torah and mitzvot is the emotional religious experience, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a danger here that a person will become lax in his halachic observance. doesn't necessarily mean that, but it could mean that. And I think the fact that the warnings of the Vilnagon and his disciples are, are known, and they're in the background, uh, enable us to view such uh, new approaches or renewed approaches to Hasidut with somewhat uh, uh, less fear. Now, uh, the time is about to come for us to close our series. We've seen the Grah in his times. We've seen the Grah and his disciples. What I'd like to do now, before closing, is to try to view some of the influence or the impact of the Vilna Gaon on succeeding generations. And in order to do this, I'd like to take a visit with you to Lithuania. But not Lithuania in the time of the Vilna Gaon, but Lithuania at a later point in history. Let's visit Vilna in the 1930s. What kind of community is it? Who are the people? Who are the leaders? Now, for, for this purpose, I'd like to utilize a, uh, a, a, a scholarly analysis which was written by a person named Elijah Shochet. This essay appears in an anthology called Hagra Ubeit Midrasho, which is a, uh, a collection of uh, research and uh, academic writing that has to do with the Vilna Gaon and his uh, spiritual uh, influence and his disciples. And in this essay, he, he tells us the following. I quote, The nature of Lithuanian Jewry, the, distinctness, the distinctive, distinctiveness of Lithuanian Jewry, is truly extraordinary intellectual and educational, educational achievements. Its immense spiritual and contra- cultural contributions. All of these seemingly defy easy analysis. Although a small and impoverished community, Lithuanian Jewry far eclipsed its co-religionists of larger and more prosperous lands in producing premier rabbinic scholars, a remarkably learned laity, prodigious literary publications, and a broad range of cultural achievements. So here is the challenge. According to Shochet, the Lithuanian Jewish community in the time that we're talking about is distinctive. It's singular. Its achievements far outshine all those of other Jewish communities of the time, even though those communities were far, were far richer and far more numerous. Uh, for example, Shochet tells us that there was a saying common in the uh, early 20th century that Peretz, the Jewish uh, Yiddish author, wrote his books in Warsaw, but the people who read him lived in Vilna. And indeed, Shochet writes, 
Warsaw had six times the Jewish population of Vilna. Yet, there were more Jewish school children in Vilna, in Yiddish schools, than in all of Warsaw. The statistics are truly impressive. In 1925, 98% of all Jewish children in Lithuania attended Jewish elementary schools. 80% were enrolled in Jewish secondary schools. And we're talking about schools where the official language of instruction was Hebrew and Yiddish. Now these schools were by no means merely religious schools because the quality of education was such that many of these graduates met the entrance requirements of major European universities. In the 1920s, the Avne school system for the Orthodox offered elementary and secondary education to both boys and girls, with Hebrew as the official language of instruction. In 1930, there were 110 Hebrew public libraries in Lithuania. This is not including 120 school libraries. Uh, I, it's well known that the, the, that the Shivot of Lithuania produced the majority of the world's foremost rabbinic scholars of the age. But not only is this true, but the level of learning found among the masses, even in small outlying uh, kilot in Lithuania, was unparalleled in other countries. Simple workers and wagon drivers in Vilna were knowledgeable in Chumash with Rashi, Ein Yaakov, Medrash Rabbah. Rav Shmuel Kalman Mirsky, a well-known author and scholar, who researched the East European world of uh, yeshivot heavily and wrote monographs on many of these yeshivot. He wrote that Lithuania in the early 20th, 20th century was a place of Torah, the likes of which were unknown in the history of the Jewish diaspora, with the possible exception of ancient Mesopotamia. Beyond the flourishing of Jewish culture and Jewish learning in Lithuania. The uh, Lithuanian society also was characterized by specific personality traits. It produced a stereotypical Litvak personality who was imbued with such qualities as rationality, intellectuality, love of learning and respect for learning, Discipline, self-discipline, autonomy, reticence, emotional restraint, something which is very much opposed to the Hasidic mentality, modesty, privacy, ethical sensitivity, and moral discipline. What is the basis for, for this kind of community, for this kind of personality? How did it come about that such a, such a small community of such uh, limited means, the people there were very, very poor? Nevertheless, how, how did it come about that they found the resources to generate such uh, cultural, religious, and spiritual wealth? 
Now, there are some scholars who have advanced all kinds of theories. Uh, Shochet quotes here from Klausner, Ben Sasson, Aviad, and others that try to give various explanations for this uh, phenomenon of Lithuanian Jewry. For example, they cite the tolerant social and economic conditions in Lithuania. These conditions which attracted capable Jewish entrepreneurs who, who chose to come and live there. Or perhaps Lithuanians' location at, at a crossroads between Russia and Germany, which perhaps made for a stimulating uh, cross-fertilization of ideas. Perhaps Lithuania's a small insular land mass was conducive to developing a uniform personality with distinctive characteristics and personal traits. But, uh, Shochet goes on to say, there's another theory behind all this, a very compelling one, which I think we can appreciate in light of all, all what we've studied. This theory views Lithuanian Jewry as standing in the extended shadow of one man, Rabbi Eliel the Gaon of Zona. The power of his teachings, his approach to study, the force of his convictions, and the almost unimaginable impact of his personality, which was spread and cultivated by his, his, his students, his disciples, who themselves were of gigantic spiritual stature. That this tremendous influence accounts for the remarkable achievements of Lithuanian Jewry. And speaking for myself, this theory does ring uh, sympathetically, a sympathetic chord uh, with us. And in retrospect, it truly is remarkable that this gigantic person, the Vilnagon, so aloof, so remote, so detached, but nevertheless so towering, so influential, having such a tremendous impact, come, which comes down, down to us, to our own days. This impact was seen in Lithuania. It proceeded to America. It proceeded to Israel. It became transformed and metamorphized in different ways, adapted to changing conditions, but it's still there and still vigorous. It's hard for us sometimes to uncover it because of the change in milieu, because of the intervening centuries. But I think it does behoove us to try and learn more about this, to try and become more knowledgeable about this major root of our belief, of our society, and of our, of our way of life. May we continue to study the legacy and the heritage of the Lunagon. Vihiratzon, Sheskuto, Tagaina Alenu, Valkol Israel.